0: O U T D O O R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether, and fully loaded chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit fullyloadedchew.com.
1: Welcome to the Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast, where we talk everything Pennsylvania outdoors. If you enjoy deer hunting, fishing trapping or just being outside then this podcast is for you our goal is to showcase the vast opportunity that the pennsylvania outdoors can experience we hope this inspires you to get out and enjoy god's creation in the keystone state welcome back we're going to do another podcast this week and this week we're going to shift gears a little bit i got a special guest this week clayton good And he's going to be talking a little bit about his interest in fisheries. Um, you know, this time of year, it's June, June 8th here, we're getting into the dog days of summer and, you know, when we're, we're dog days of summer, antlers are, uh, not quite out to their, their peak at this point in the year. And, uh, a lot of people aren't thinking about white tails, Turkey season's over a lot of those, those woodsman type people like myself, but, uh, this is the time of year I start thinking about fishing and, uh. Real fishermen know that that might not be the case. Um, you know, a lot of the time, the best time to be fishing is probably when I'm out deer hunting or turkey hunting. But we're going to let somebody key in uh, this week and and share their wealth of knowledge of of fisheries and specifically some cold water fisheries. So I went to school with Clayton, uh, <clears throat> heck of a nice guy, heck of a knowledgeable guy in the world of fisheries, and uh, I'm going to let him uh, shed some light on some stuff. So so introduce yourself, Clayton. What do you know?
2: Hey everybody, uh, like Mitch said, my name's Clayton Good. Uh, we went to school together uh, in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, with like coming college, and uh, uh, ultimately, I guess we had the same same biology major. But uh, Mitch kind of uh, focused more on the wildlife and uh, and plant side of things, and uh, I focused more on on aquatics and uh, and specifically, uh, you know really focused my interest on uh more or less fisheries biology
1: um, so, yeah so you did pretty much stuff like we had uh, uh what was what was the the lab set up it's called the clean water institute right yeah
2: we had a a really good professor at like lycoming and uh it was dr zimmerman and uh you know very involved in uh in general conservation but uh specifically um you know, specifically aquatics research and, uh, you know, just in general water quality protections in North central Pennsylvania. And, uh, you know, I, I really, uh, you know, owe a lot of where I'm at in, uh, you know, my career now to, you know, to his guidance, uh, he really helped, uh, me network and, and make a lot of connections, you know, throughout, um, you know, throughout our college years and, uh, you For know, provided sure. a lot of research opportunities, um, I actually did two summer internships with them working on a number of projects, but, uh, probably, uh, you know, the big highlights of, of the summer we're doing on assessed water surveys, uh, for the fish and boat commission. And so, uh,
1: so, so that those surveys and stuff, like you were doing, were you doing surveys specifically on cold water fishes? Were you doing more on their, like the, the habitat within that or the, the, The food web so to speak like what what did that look like and why you know how does that connect to trout and any anything of your interest
2: so the uh, honest dust waters program was started by the fish and boat commission uh, roughly around 2010 Um, more or less it started uh, kind of in response um, to the onset of of natural gas development in Pennsylvania, but also in response to the general understanding that we had uh, an immense amount of streams that we had no official fisheries data on.
1: Yeah, don't, doesn't uh, Pennsylvania have like the number? Is it, aren't we like the number two in headwater streams next to Alaska? Something uh, something crazy well, like so that.
2: We have uh, over eighty-three thousand miles of stream in Pennsylvania, and that's thought, to, depending on who you ask, it's thought to be the most in the continental United States. So it would be second to Alaska. Um,
1: so basically there's plenty of places to fish, right?
2: (laughs) Yeah, there's, we are a water rich state. So whether you like, uh, you know, small stream brook trout fishing, uh, fishing in our larger river systems for, you know, transitional species or smallmouth bass or walleye or musky, you know, all through, uh, we have a number of great lakes as well. So including, uh, Lake Erie. So, uh, we really have a little bit of everything. We're blessed uh to live where
1: we do. But uh yeah, I'll let you get back to, to yeah. toning in yeah. on what what you were doing with those projects and stuff and so, what they really I'll honed in going
2: on. on uh, the Unassessed waters program a little bit just because Yeah, for it's
1: sure. In plug and uh
2: so basically the in, the intent uh was to focus the initial effort on um obtaining fisheries data on streams thought to support wild trout. Uh, so this specifically uh started out focusing in the north central region um and watersheds that may be at higher risk for development. And okay. uh, you know one of the purposes of that was not only to identify um you know fish populations that were in these streams, but in the case of when um wild trout populations were found, um upon the official listing as a wild trout stream, there's additional um you know regulatory protections provided to those watersheds um so and it, it was important to gather some baseline data hopefully before um you know before significant development whether it was uh you know continued residential development or, or specifically natural gas development uh, occurred in the watershed
1: gotcha um, I've
2: got to Get all over uh, the north central part of the state, and, yeah. So, uh, so I guess that's one thing place.
1: we didn't highlight. You, you kind of work in that central to northern Pennsylvania and a lot of that stuff, correct?
2: Correct. Currently, I I kind of work statewide, but uh, right. early on was definitely focused in the north central parts of the state and a little bit in the Delaware watershed in the northeast.
1: So, I don't want to keep everybody, you know, in a in a huge huge biology lesson but i mean let's let's just talk a little bit about some of the things you found like what's some of the biggest issues that we have in cold water fisheries
2: Hmm. Uh, so right now i would say honestly specific to our headwater streams cold water fisheries uh, climate change is definitely a uh, a big issue Uh, a lot of people highlight global warming and and the warming trends, but, uh, uh, to be perfectly honest, the, uh, perhaps more critical aspect that we're definitely experiencing in the last decade, uh, and even more so within the last five years or so are more frequent extreme storm events. So we're seeing what used to be, you know, classified as a hundred year storm. So maybe this is a, a thunderstorm where you get three to five or. In some cases, seven or eight inches of rain in a matter of a few hours, and uh, that can really wreak havoc on on a lot of stream systems. Uh, causes a lot of erosion and channel changing, and especially when you uh, you know contribute uh, undersized stream crossings and you know floodplain encroachments. Yeah, uh, so you know, what kind it, of impact does that
1: have? have what kind of impact does that have as far as a setback? Like how, like, you know, we've had some storms in that central and north central Pennsylvania that have been, you know, those three to five inches in two, three hours. And, you know, we've, we've seen that in a, in a number of cases of streams that were, you know, detrimented greatly. So what kind of ramifications do we have like that? And as far as a timeline, I mean, does something like that, does it take five years? Does it take 10 years? Does it take a lifetime for that to correct itself?
2: Uh, That's a great question. And, uh, long story short, there's, there's not an easy answer. It depends on a number of factors. Um, some of which we may not understand, but, uh, um, so kind of interesting, um, Susquehanna University has kind of timed some of their research specifically on Oil Sock Creek watershed, uh, you know, really well just kind of by chance to look at some of these issues and how watersheds respond, uh, you know, to these flooding events, uh, specifically, you know, kind of headwater brook trout streams. And, uh, you know, some of the early variables, um, in 2011, there was a kind of late summer, early fall, um, you know, storm event, it was remnants of a hurricane in north central Pennsylvania. And, uh, um, you know, it, it was at that time, it was basically record flooding. Uh, it topped uh, the 72 flood, um, which again was a, was kind of a catastrophic event in this region. Um, but what they found there was that stream, there was kind of a loss of some adults in the population, but the streams that had good connectivity to larger water bodies. Um, Those populations responded greatly the very next year with, with a huge, uh, you know, young of the year recruitment
1: class. Let me stop you right there. Uh, You're you're talking specifically in the world of brook trout, right?
2: Correct. And that would probably correspond well with, with brown trout
1: as well. Okay. So something like that there you're, you're saying sometimes we're seeing quicker than normal kind of thing or what you would expect
2: so uh, this is specific to kind of the trout's response uh meaning they really ramp up the reproduction in the following years after you know a loss of adults in the population now there's the timing of the flood is really important so if the flood uh so most trout are reproducing and actively spawning um It varies. It's based on water temperature, but typically between mid October and mid to late November is when the bulk of the actual um, spawning activity occurs. And then those eggs incubate for a period of time based on water temperature. And during that time, they would be very susceptible to flooding events that might scour out the bottom of the stream channel or uh, cause channel changes or caused uh, additional sedimentation to settle out in the bottom. So if you get a late late fall, early winter, you know, major flood event, um, in our headwater streams that can be really detrimental to a year class of fish. Um, what it does to the adult population can vary, you know, greatly depending on specific watershed characteristics, available habitat, et cetera. But, uh, you know, when you lose a, uh, age class of fish along with having, um, you know, some adult mortality higher than normal, uh, you know, it can definitely take a number of years to, to respond. And, you know, then you get into a host of other variables, but in general, um, our trout populations are, are definitely, uh, kind of driven by environmental conditions, not only flooding, but, uh, you know, drought conditions and, uh, you know, there's other you know, situations throughout the year that came yeah, like uh,
1: last year, we had quite a drought in Pennsylvania and central Pennsylvania. Like I know, speaking agronom on the the agronomic side of things, we had uh, a lot of crop insurance claims just because we had uh, poor crops from the drought. Uh, did, did we see, did you see any ramifications from that in the world of fisheries?
2: So a lot of people really, uh, you know, sounded the alarm and, you know, we're kind of expressing dire concerns, um, you know, in certain, in certain watersheds and, uh, you know, there were streams that went dry that I haven't, you know, really seen go dry and, and perhaps my lifetime, but, uh, it's too early to tell, um, you know, we're, this is really just starting the, uh, you know, sampling season for trout streams. so uh it, it's really too early to get a good handle on it. But uh so you know, my personal tell. experience fishing uh this summer um it has been somewhat favorable under our small streams. I'm still catching um quite a few adult fish, not necessarily uh you know trophy fish per se. Um, but it it seems like our adult fish may have fared uh, um, about average or maybe even better than to be expected uh, given the conditions last year, but, uh, I will say that, you know, you can't rely on visual observation or angling, ex- you know, experience really. But, uh, you know, only I, if you're a really, really
1: good angler, right
2: now, it's, it's <laughs> a kind of joke between, uh, fisheries professionals, but, uh, it, as a, in general, uh, anglers are probably uh, very poor, um, uh, estimators of what fish populations are there are also times
1: no when different you, than deer hunters are usually the yeah. uh, not the best indicator of of deer populations and trends or or small game for that matter any hunting correct. I mean, those hunting observations there, are just a small part of that
2: correct and, and there are times that uh, a good angler can can definitely effectively fish and uh, probably have a good idea on on what's going on in a stream but uh you know our small streams can be really tough to uh to fish in certain conditions and uh you know sometimes the fish just aren't actively feeding and it can be you know tough to uh really make any known population assessments based on you know one outing um you know if someone that fishes a stream continuously throughout a season they might have a a pretty good uh you know feeling for uh for what's going on there
1: but uh well, i'm glad we kind of touched base on that because i mean the the fact of the matter is there's two parts of this you know i i, I want to make sure that we're we're talking about some things that are are important biologically you know what are some of the biggest issues we have against our wildlife populations but at the end of the day uh you know the, the reason we listen to a lot of stuff like this is you know what does that mean in our outdoor experience and how we're you know, how is it affecting our fishing experience? So, you know, you kind of touched on that a little bit. I'd love to dig into that. You know, you were able to do some fishing this spring, uh, successful trout season in, in in early April here, March and April for you.
2: Um, March and April were probably, uh, I don't, it, it was a very cold kind of prolonged winter. Um, you know really in, in those conditions you're probably better off focusing on <laughs> some of our larger streams um you know uh, a lot of uh fish and connected systems will take advantage of those uh larger creek systems the water's a so little you're bit talking more a larger stream.
1: stream are you talking like a borderline river stream or something like you yeah, know yeah, what's a good comparison like, to like uh,
2: like a pine creek in north
1: central pennsylvania or okay. ideally you might try to
2: focus on um you know, some of our true limestone streams or limestone influence streams. So say spring Creek and state college, or, you know, some of the famous, uh, you know, limestoneers in the Cumberland Valley or like Penn's Creek.
1: Or, okay. So you're talking that time like of that. year as far as seeing that, that type yeah, of,
2: the water's, the water's a little bit warmer there. So the fish start actively feeding. So I I mean, officially year round, they have to, but, uh, especially on our, you know, very small headwater streams uh fishing in the winter and and early spring uh, can be very tough it's not only due to it, most most likely it's due to water temperature but uh in some cases like a year like this year we had a heavy snowpack um so what that typically can lead to given our kind of legacy um you know acid precipitation that we experience here some watersheds just don't buffer um, you know, acidic precipitation and, uh, snow really kind of accumulates that acidity. Um, so in some of our streams, not only do you have cold temperatures, you can have a significant drop in pH during that early spring runoff event. So you can have a twofold effect in, in some of our watersheds that, uh, that can make the early spring a little tough, but, um, okay. But so uh, like
1: if you were like, were you able to get out fishing that time of year much this year?
2: Yeah, I didn't. I only got out a few times for trout in March. Um, again, they were uh, mostly on, you know, limestone influence streams, uh, okay. and had pretty, pretty decent success. Um, so,
1: were you were you catching mostly previously stocked fish, or were like, were you able to catch some stuff that's like is native to Pennsylvania?
2: Uh, no, and uh, and all those. Uh, I want to say I was catching mostly wild fish. Um, there may, I'm trying to think now I may have caught a, a rainbow or two, but, uh, most of mostly they were, you know, wild brown trout and, uh, you know, native brook trout, um, nice. more, more so the brown trout at that point in time, just given on where I was fishing. But, uh, you know, as we moved into April, um, you know, in North central PA, uh, well, statewide, you know, the trout, season opened up a little bit earlier there was one opening day well i guess for you know the southeast and south central region it was actually a week later than normal but for for the rest of the state it was a week early uh so we had a cold start to the season um and really after that weather conditions really fluctuated but uh i had some good outings early on for stock trout um, so,
1: so I guess that's a little disclaimer. So, I mean, you're, you're really interested in, in natural, you know, wild occurring trout streams and that's kind of where your, your passion and work is live, but yeah, you have no problem going out and, and hammering the first day of trout season, like the rest of America, rest of Pennsylvania.
2: Well, I actually worked on the, the first day of uh, trout season this year, but, uh, okay. uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I enjoy uh, catching fish you know, whether it's uh panfish, whether it's you know, native brook trout, whether it's stock trout. Um so you know, a little disclaimer
1: here, you're one of those people that'll fish if there was water in a bucket. <laughs>
2: sure. I, I won't say that I'm an uh an avid warm water angler, but I, I definitely uh, uh you know, I grew up fishing p- farm ponds and sure. the Susquehanna River, West Branch, Susquehanna River, et cetera. So I you know, I'm I'm more than happy to uh wet a line and, and catch panfish and smallmouth bass and, and it works. But, uh, you know, so I you were able to do
1: a little bit of, of uh, a stock trout fish in there as the season kind of went on.
2: Yeah. And, uh, uh, I got to do a little camping trip up on Kettle Creek in Potter County.
1: Yeah. Uh, tell me about that. April. I didn't really get to hear much about that trip.
2: Uh, went with a good buddy of mine, uh, John and my brother Cameron. And, uh, we were really hoping to, to focus on some of the wild trout sections of, of Kettle Creek and some of the tributaries. And, but, uh, we had a really cold weekend that, that weekend, uh, just the last weekend in April and, uh, anyhow, on Friday, when we first got there, Kettle main stem was like 41 degrees, uh, which is, which is still really cold for, for okay. trout, um, just in general, the, the real active feeding temperature that you want to shoot for is 50 degrees.
1: Uh, okay, necessary. there you go. Note uh, note note hint 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 on that one people.
2: Especially it's not as critical for for stock trout, but uh definitely okay. for wild trout. Um you know, 50 degrees is really where they start getting active. But uh anyhow, on Friday, we uh we just decided to stay close to where we were camping and and we got into um a pile of stockfish. They just as a, it was a sunny day, so the sun warmed the water up a little bit. I know know exactly what the temperature got to we were probably close to that 50 degree mark but uh but the fish really were actively feeding and uh in a few hours uh i was over 50 fish my brother was uh you know not too far behind but i didn't quite do quite as well but uh in that case the fish were actively chasing we were fly fishing but uh okay fish were to be chasing nymphs so they actually wanted some movement so it wasn't as critical to get a dead free or a you know like a a drift free um presentation so um it was uh it was fun you were kind of actively fishing the nymphs and then they started hitting dry flies good and at one point i was uh i landed seven fish on 10 casts on dry flies which uh for uh you know for april on the you know, on a larger Freestone stream and North central PA is a pretty good run. So sounds I uh, had a lot of fun and ate a lot of good food, cooked some steaks on the grill and, around uh, all over the fire and I uh, you know, had a good time of it. Uh, Saturday morning though was cold. It was like 27 degrees. Uh, and our, we woke up and uh, got a fire going, walked over to the truck where our waiters were hanging and our waiters were froze solid like the, boots were just blocks of ice (laughs) so needless to say we sat around the fire a little bit and enjoyed breakfast and a cup of coffee and then uh then went for a good hike and uh long story short we did not do well on on wild fish that weekend uh i just think the water was a little cold um at least for saturday morning and into the mid-afternoon and we had fished for five or six hours and uh i think we each caught one or two brook trout and uh just we're we're fishing very hard and not having success so we decided to uh go back and go after some stock trout and enjoy ourselves and hit sure. a very good uh hendrickson hatch which is kind of one of the earlier prolific mayfly hatches that we see anywhere in in Pennsylvania you know maybe other parts of the state it starts a little bit earlier like second or third week in april but uh we hit it perfect uh, on kettle and and had a really good night Saturday night on.
1: Well, that's pretty and sweet. Five, so, yeah, so you know, you pizza. said something that was really interesting to me. You know, myself not being as much of a fisherman, but you said about you know chasing wild trout. Uh, that fifty degree mark is something that you kind of you know is, is a is a better aspect of going after trout so you know we, we were talking you know in past tense earlier you know april we were going after trout you know that's the time when most people think trout but you know here we are in june we're getting into the, the dog days of summer slowly and uh you know those hot days like how does that transition like if you still are like amped up on trout like does that make you move up into those colder tributary streams or how does that work
2: Yeah. So you can kind of approach it with a couple, uh, different lines of thought. Um, you know, so in general, uh, trout, especially, uh, brook trout, um, really slow down their feeding when water temperatures start approaching 70 degrees and brown trout too, as well. Uh, rainbows probably tolerate a little bit warmer, uh, warmer water, but, uh, ultimately it, it depends on um, you know what your wishes for for fishing are if you're catch and release fishing uh, you probably definitely should seek out colder water uh, to the best of your ability so seeking out your again your limestone influence streams or your you know smaller uh, you know heavily forested um, watersheds that uh, typically stay relatively cool maybe even year round but uh um, if you were still wanting to target stock trout, um, you know, realistically, unless the fish find thermal refuge, a lot of our stock trout, uh, in our larger streams actually die if they're not kept. So, um, if you practice catch and release throughout the spring to kind of prolong the experience on your, on your local stream, um, and you want to keep some fish, now's a great time to go out and do it. Um, you know, the fish may not be, uh, super actively feeding, uh, especially on a real hot day, like a hot moogie day today. It was like 90 degrees. Some parts of the state got big thunderstorms. So maybe after the thunderstorms a great time to be out. But uh, otherwise, uh, you know, daylight and, and late in the evening are probably your best chances. Uh, it's
1: kind know, of controversial, it. though, like, you know, we, we invest a lot of money into stocking streams that, you know, what is the mortality on on fish like that? after you know a certain point in the spring
2: it it really depends on uh not only the stream but uh but the year uh, for example a few years ago in 2018 we had a lot of rain um and relatively cool temperatures throughout the summer and and that year uh i mean i was catching stock trout um you know really throughout the entire summer i mean some of our larger freestone streams in, in north central Pennsylvania you know, including Pine Creek and, you know, say like Whatcoming Creek and Oilsock Creek, uh, they stayed relatively cool, um, all summer long. Um, but in general, our, our stock trout, um, you know, are, are more or less stocked by the Fish and Boat Commission for, you know, utilization by anglers to, uh, to catch and keep and ultimately eat or, you know, do as they please with them. Um, you know, not to say that there's not holdovers in some some situations but uh sure, sure sure the level of mortality by the end of summer is is very high kind of regardless of where you are you know some watersheds do better at others uh, holding a few over
1: so last question. So let's say uh, let's say tomorrow you don't have to work and your wife is home and you've got a, a day where she can watch your kid and you've got whatever you want to do tomorrow as far as fishing goes. So what's going to be your approach You know, in the early June with the weather we've got that you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to go try to catch some trout. Uh, I want to try to catch some wild trout. I'm really not interested in going after stock trout. What's going to be your game plan? What's going to be your gear? What's going to be your your stuff that you're going to have that you're going to tie on and your strategy going into that?
2: I'll give a uh, broad overview because uh, really this time of year can be can be a great time to uh, to target some larger brown trout. Um, so today, for example, the eastern part of the state and and some bands moved out through other parts of the state uh we got some really good thunderstorms now if a stream you know a hundred percent blown out like you just got five inches of rain in two hours and you know at a bank that's almost impossible to fish i'm not saying that you can't um i know people that have i have myself but uh but in general uh you know we had pretty low flow conditions prior so the streams can handle a little more rain but uh if you seek out a, a stream that got a good thunderstorm the night before, uh, that next morning can, can be, uh, it can be really good fishing. Um, a lot of our, uh, freestone brown trout streams, you know, you may fish them under normal conditions and, and only catch a couple brown trout. But if you, uh, take advantage of some higher, you know, slightly off color water, uh, you can really be surprised at what you can catch and, uh, you know, there's a number of tactics that work uh, for people that like live bait. You know, traditional night crawlers can be effective. Minnows can be effective. Um, if you like fishing spinners or lures, uh, flashy spinners can be a really good tactic. Um, if you're a fly fisherman, you're probably not going to approach that with dry flies. Um, you're probably going to want to use a, a darker streamer, like a black streamer or or nymphs uh, in general. Um, but, uh, you can really hit some active feeding times and have some really good days in the water following a thunderstorm. Uh, um, otherwise, if you do not have, you know, a rain event to chase, uh, well, before we go to dry weather, I, I will add in a plug that, uh, you know, if it's a, if it's a drizzly day, um, you know, that can be another really good opportunity to have active feeding fish all day long. Um, especially dry flies, uh smaller like blue wing olives and stuff uh you know like to hatch on our, our drizzly days so don't overlook those days um hmm. i have some really good addings but uh otherwise if it's uh you know if it's a hot muggy day you're gonna want to get out early um if you want to target wild fish uh you know probably seeking out your colder streams or perhaps your limestone or tailwater streams uh, across the state and uh You know, otherwise, as far as tactics go, it really depends on water conditions. If it's low, uh, you're going to need to, if it's low and clear, you're going to really need to be stealthy. Um, those conditions typically lend themselves well to dry fly fishing and, you know, kind of using longer casts and, you know, kind of hiding and keeping a low profile. But, uh,
1: so you're actually uh, talking about like stealthy, you're talking about like approaching a stream and sneaking up on it. Like you're talking, like you're hunting.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, brook trout and brown trout alike, uh, if it's slow, clear conditions, um, you know, yeah, you're, you're basically hunting the fish. Uh, they have amazing eyesight really in those conditions. Um, it's good to wear kind of drab colored clothing camo even. Uh, and you, you really need some of the streams are tough because you have a lot of, uh, you know, overhanging branches and vegetation. So, um, it can be a little easier to spin fish some of those streams, but, uh, you know, fly fishing really lends itself well to those conditions. Uh, you can bow and arrow cast. Um, you know, there's a couple tactics there for, for getting your fly on the water, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you want to cast from, you know, sometimes if it's a steeper stream, uh, and you have like step pools or, you know, small waterfall like structures, you almost want to fish from, kind of below where you're casting to um so you can stay hidden or or even stay entirely out of the stream and kind of hide behind trees um you know stay away from the water so uh, maybe that's why i stink
1: at fishing i never did that
2: Uh, it depends if you uh you know earlier on it's a little bit different you can get a little closer to fish but uh (laughs) especially on uh and it depends if you're fishing pools or if you're if the fish are up in riffles. If they're in riffles, you can get closer to them. But uh, you know, for example, some some pretty popular streams uh you know of this of this nature uh would be like Slate Run, for example. It's right. a tributary Pine Creek. It's kind of uh it's definitely statewide famous, but it, it might be, you know, really kind of world renowned as well. Well, definitely East Coast renowned to to anybody that's exposed to to Pennsylvania angling and typically hear of, of slate run at some point in time. So, but, uh, that stream in particular gets a lot of angling pressure. Um, the water shed is almost entirely state forest, you know, other than a few cabins and a couple dirt roads, it's, it's all forested. So it, it's rarely off color, um, with any significance. So typically if it's low flow, you're going to have gin clear water. Um, again, it gets a lot of pressure. So those fish are excellent at hiding and excellent at uh, you know, at seeing you come. So you really need to take advantage of longer casting. If you're not a good, um, you know, a good stretch of slate run is fly fishing only. So if you're not a good, uh, caster, um, you're probably going to have a tough day if you don't have some rain.
0: Hmm.
1: Well, that's a whole lot of stuff that I would have never guessed in the world of fishing.
0: Yeah.
2: It's really as easy and, uh, as complex as,
1: as you make it. But, uh, Do you ever think that you just overthink stuff just like the way we would overthink hunting a whitetail?
2: Definitely. And that's (laughs) realistically, it's kind of why I like, uh, targeting our, our brook trout streams really, especially once the water's warmer, you know, once you're over that 50 degree mark consistently, um, you know, a lot of our brook trout streams are you know, relatively infertile. So there's not a ton of insect life. Um, although, you know, some are, are relatively productive, but, uh, brook trout are aggressive feeders. So, um, uh, they really like hitting dry flies, um, or attractor style nymphs, uh, this time of year. Uh, you know, people kind of overlook the green weenie as kind of a trash fly, but really it kind of represents uh, green caterpillars and green inchworms and stuff. So that can be a good fly throughout the summer. Um, you know, same, uh, with people that want to use live bait, uh, you know, night crawlers can probably work in and pretty much any situation, crickets, grasshoppers, things like that. But, uh, really it comes down to they'll just about eat anything if they don't see you. So you use a stealthy approach and, uh, you know, get your fly or bait on the water before, um before the fish see you or before someone else has fished that stream that day, chances are you're gonna catch a couple fish. So Hmm. and you're typically in in really nice uh you know settings as well. Uh a lot of these streams have waterfalls on them and are are just in beautiful places. So
1: there's no doubt about it when you talk about fishing in, in north central pennsylvania there's definitely some beautiful country even though i don't fish it i know it's a beautiful country because i'll hike around because it's you know stuff to be doing with in the world of hunting but yeah for sure
2: yeah it's neat um i was actually just talking to uh, an old co-worker from uh trout limited uh last night and uh you know as our careers have progressed we've both kind of worked you know, all over the state. And, uh, we were actually discussing kind of the, the beauty of North central PA and particularly, uh, you know, this part of trout limited has a, has a handful of interns that just started this week, and Two of them have never been to, um, uh, you know, Potter County and experienced that. And that's where they're working right now. And, uh, it sounds like they're just in heaven and, uh, you know, you really, uh, sit back and reflect on it and, you know, man, uh, we really have it good. Uh, and not to say that there's not uh nice parts of the state elsewhere, you know, there's some nice country in the Greater Pocono's region, you know, the Laurel Highlands and, and southwestern PA, and really some of the the ridgetop systems in South Central PA. There's really some beautiful parts all over, but uh but man, it's it's tough to beat uh you know, north central Pennsylvania.
1: <laughs> you got that right, but Well, Hey, any, anything to add there as far as fishing, you know, we're, we're talking about, uh, you know, all all the people who kind of put some stuff in, on backburn, you know, I'm just such a person where I I look at my bow often and think, man, I should really shoot that and get ready, but busy with work and stuff. But the, the little bit of free time I get every now and then it's like, man, it'd be nice to go to some water and go fishing, but I just don't take the time. So. Anything else that you you think stands out this time of year, if you're going to go and spend some time, how to spend it wisely as far as if you're trying to catch a lot?
2: I'll uh, approach it a little differently, and I say uh, the summer is a great time to introduce kids to fishing. Um, Oftentimes, uh, panfish will just about eat anything if you can find them in in shallow water. Uh, So it's a great time to take a kid out, too you know, local farm pond or lake or, you know, even some of our, our larger warm water streams have really good pan fish populations. So it can be a great time to, you know, introduce a kid to fishing um or a new person in general. Uh, um You know, those fish just typically are, are a little easier to catch than some other species, but uh
1: yeah, even I can know,
2: catch those. <laughs> it can be a great time too, just for, uh, I, you know all types of fishing can be social interactions you know you can always fish with a friend but uh you know the summer's a great time to jump in a kayak and and float down some more larger creeks and rivers and uh you know catch some smallmouth bass or you know panfish again or catfish or you know whatever and and just enjoy a, a day in the water if you get too hot you can jump out and swim and um you know boating's another good uh good activity um throughout the summer. But uh, you know, there's a lot of opportunities out there. Um, you know, really the only thing I would caution uh, you know, listeners is that as as water temps get warm, if especially if you want to target wild trout, uh, catch and release ankling, you know, be mindful of the water temperatures. Um, you know, if, if the stream's 70 degrees, you know, give it a break, go go find a larger stream and and target smallmouth or you know, or something else.
1: Well, hey, that's all a lot of knowledge bombs for me today. Um, But hey, I really appreciate you coming on today and and spreading some, uh, sharing with us some some really good information. You know, you, you really highlighted a lot of information based on water quality and some fishing strategy that goes along with that and just your overall passion for it. So I really appreciate that.
2: Yeah. Not a problem. Uh, the only thing we need to change is we still need to get a fly rod in your hand and, and get you to catch a couple trout sometime at your camp.
1: Maybe one of these times when I'm not so blockheaded about deer hunting and the, the other time, maybe, maybe I'll try it. i I've, I just, I never tried it and it just never got me. I mean, you're one of the few people I know, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to give you a little backstory. So Clayton and I spend some time hunting together in the fall, but, uh, Clayton is one of the few people you know, I'll drive with and Clayton very much will drive the speed limit and take his time. He's a safe conscientious driver, but one of the few and only times I've ever seen him speed is on a road to get way ahead of us that he could drop off at, at the Creek and cast a line before we got there to keep moving to go to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> you caught, true. I think you caught some that time too, didn't you? I didn't.
2: I caught a fish right underneath that bridge, uh second cast and, uh, I think I even had it off the line and back in the water before you guys caught up to me, but
1: (laughs) (laughs) it just takes, it just takes a a special person, but man, I thank you for, for spreading your information and sharing some of, some of your knowledge on, on brook trout. I mean, I I think of all the the fish species, the the cold water fisheries have always interested me the most. And, uh, I can't thank you enough. So, Hey, um, that's going to wrap it up for this week. And, uh, until next time have a good have a good week and enjoy creation take it easy see ya